Well, it certainly has been a privilege being up here with you all. Thank you for always the hospitality you've shown toward me, my family. It's been a joy. And I mean that sincerely. I can tell just from the times I've interacted with you, been at camps with you already over the past couple of years, I can tell the, the spiritual maturity of your group as a whole. And you should take that as a compliment, um, that the Lord is working a good work there at, at GBC, especially in the youth ministry. A lot of that credit ultimately obviously goes to the work of the Spirit who sanctifies, but also he's working through your faithful pastor, Pastor David. Um, that brother's working, and I can see it because I see the fruit of his labor. So you should be very encouraged that the Lord has brought you a faithful, God-fearing pastor to shepherd you. I, I hope you, I, I trust you know that, but can't remind you enough. But also alongside that, he doesn't do it alone. There's a lot of staff around you, so I hope you realize it's not easy to take work off. You know, if you've got a job, you need money, <laughs> and they're using, using the vacation here or for their family, and they chose you some of their vacation time for you because your staff loves you, and so I hope you see that as well, that they do love you. And there's like two babies here. I can't imagine bringing a baby in negative zero weather. Well, okay, it's not negative zero, but to me, it feels like negative zero. I'm always cold, but I couldn't imagine. <laughs> I don't want to come out here in 30 degrees. No, I'm just kidding. No. Um, but no, they're bringing babies here. I mean, that, because they love you, so I hope you see that as well. Um, But it's a delight to be here with you all. Let me just pray, and we're going to dive into the word here. So would you pray with me? Lord, we we come before you again, just so thankful, God, for what you're doing in us and what you're doing here through this church. And I thank you for that work, and I just pray that you would bear more fruit, that you would continue to bear more fruit, that you would show yourself faithful and strong in that church body here. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk away with a higher view of you, that we would love you more truly because of what your spirit has worked in us through the ministry of your word. We ask all this in, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I, I grew up playing soccer, and I played soccer for about 10 years of my life growing up, um, and I loved it. And I, I, don't take me too seriously. Now, I played like rec, like recreational, like city recreational. I wasn't like club, but, um, but I loved it, and I played it. And one of the things about rec is that for practices, I don't know if they still do this, but normally if you have practice, you have practices two days of the week. So you either have like practice Monday and Wednesdays, or you're a Tuesday and Thursday kind of team, right? So you have one of those options. So growing up, and my dad was the coach for, I think, all, actually all, my, all of my years playing, and so I'm always used to playing practicing or practicing on Mondays and Wednesdays every week. And that was it. And then Saturday's the game, right? So I'm just used to that. And then one year, I was on an all-star team but that my dad didn't coach, and so I started coaching or practicing with them. And we were practicing, showed up, I think, probably Monday, and I remember we came in the huddle afterwards, the practice was over, and the coach said, all right, we'll see you guys here tomorrow. And I'm thinking, tomorrow's Tuesday. Does, does he know that? It's not Wednesday. I'm like, okay, tomorrow's, okay. So I showed up the next day for Tuesday practice. We practiced hard, and they worked like really hard. And then at the end of practice, he was like, all right, good job, guys. Like, okay, so we do our practices early in the week, right? We'll see you tomorrow. Oh, that's, that's three days already. <laughs> so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm like, okay, they, they're a little brave. But okay, so I showed up Wednesday, wore us out. I'm like exhausted. End of practice Wednesday, I'm thinking like, surely we're done now. <laughs> at the end of a Wednesday, all right, guys, good work today. We'll see you tomorrow, same time. I'm like... And inside me, I don't say anything. I'm just kind of like, I'm looking around at other people like, are y'all hearing this? Like, like, are they deaf? Like, we hear four days out of the week. I'm just like, do you hear the same thing I'm hearing? But I'm like, okay, whatever. So I kept it in. I remember 
like the last time. Um, this was then the Thursday, and the game, the game was like a couple weeks after this. But I remember Thursday, then we came and uh, practiced hard, and he was like, all right, good job, y'all. Good job, y'all. I'm like, surely he's not going to tell us come back tomorrow. And guess what this man said? He said, all right, we'll see you tomorrow. And I, I was like, oh, and I actually like let out an outburst. And I was a little embarrassed because I didn't mean to, for, to say what I was thinking. It was like one of those things I meant to keep it inside, but I couldn't. It was like four days just like baked in me. And I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. And like, I remember everyone looked at me and I felt a little embarrassed. I was like, oops. <laughs> I went off. But then I, I just did not appreciate the whole process. And it was grueling. It was tough. I was exhausted. I was not used to it. I was like, Monday and Wednesdays, Monday and Wednesdays, right? But it was five days out of the week, and we did that for like two or three weeks. But sure enough, when the All-Stars came, we won. We took it, first place. And it was grueling, but it was worth it, right? Now, in a real way, how we view sometimes the Christian life is I don't want you guys walking away from this in a way with this attitude of just this drudgery. Like, okay, all these things I need to work and do in order to grow. I don't want you to view it that way. That the Christian life is not about drudgery. It really is a delight. And even still, that soccer metaphor, metaphor falls short of really what I wouldn't say here because it's never about here. You come to Christianity and now you're growing in Christ and, and this is always like, oh, I got to do these things. I want to, I have to. I feel like I, I must. I just want to make my, my pastor happy. I want to make my parents happy. It's never like that, really. But I don't want you to walk away from everything we've covered and I don't want you to have a sense of like all these things on my to-do list. But rather, I want you to see the benefit, the joy of really what it is to walk with Christ and to grow with Christ. Um, And I mentioned, I think, last night, at the end of this section, back in John chapter 15, the Lord ends this whole section of talking about abide in me. And he ends it here with that reminder of us of the necessity of joy. He says, therefore, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. The reason why he's saying these things is I'm saying this so that you can have joy and that that joy would be made complete, would be fulfilled. So the purposes of these things is not to make you feel burdened, but to give you greater delight, to give you joy, to realize what is the whole purpose of this. That if I understood the purpose of the practicing, the purpose of coming together, the purpose of that unit, if I understood the design of it, I wouldn't have the horrible heart that I had all throughout practice. And I didn't really understand that until we walked away with the trophy. But but I want you to see the benefit here of really what we're getting at. Like, where is the joy in all this? And actually, that's where this this section here we're going to nail in this evening really brings out for us the benefits of the Christian life. Because we've been talking about abiding since yesterday, abiding in Christ. And if you remember, this abiding in Christ is not optional for the believer. Believers abide. A a, a false believer does not abide, as we've already talked about, because the one who is in him and does not bear fruit, he takes and throws into the fire. Believers abide. And so we're going to see in this passage now just the benefits of abiding in Christ. I want us to walk away with the joys, if you will, the benefits of abiding with Christ. What are these benefits of abiding in Christ that should produce true joy for you? I want you to walk away with understanding these benefits, but also walking away with your joy being made full. In other words, you're going to see all that the Lord has given, and you should walk away enthused and ready to grow because of all that what he wants to do in you and through you by the power of his spirit. 
So what are the benefits of abiding in Christ that produce true joy? By the way, I just love how even in the context of these commands, this admonition he's given to his disciples, and time and time you see this in Scripture, when God gives commands, he gives reasons for commands. Right? He gives reasons. And I, I'm, I'm learning this as a parent because growing up, a lot of times you hear, like, do this. And, like, if I want to ask why or if I want to, like, don't ask me why, do it, right? And, and there's appropriate time for that. Like, there's a time when we're asking why to delay obedience, and that's never acceptable. But there is true room for to really ask why, what's the purpose, to, to understand, like, what is this for? Because everything I want my kids to do is for their good. It's for their good. They may not like it, and they may not understand why it's good, but it is for their good. And for, I think for us as believers to know what are the benefits, I think it's helpful for us to see that. And Scripture does that time and time again, where it gives a command, but then it gives the reason or the benefit or the joys of these commands. And that's what we're going to see in these passages in John chapter 15, starting at verse 7. I'm going to read it through 7 through 11. Now, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you abide in my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So what are the benefits of abiding in Christ that produce true joy? The first benefit we're going to see in verse 7 is effectual prayer. Excuse me, effectual prayer. Now, why should your prayers be effectual? In other words, like, why will they be productive? Why will they bring, bear fruit? Look at why it says in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So he says there, if he says at the end of verse 7, it says, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. And I want us to stop and just look at that promise there in itself. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Pray whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. Before we go further, just think about the grand promise. This is coming from the mouth of God. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. Jesus is saying, ask what you desire, and he commands you, ask. James chapter 4, verse 2, it says, you do not have. Do you know why? Because why? You do not have because you do not, do not ask, right? You do not have because you do not ask. So we first have to understand this great promise. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, I think when we look at these kind of verses, the first thing we're tempted to do is spend more time talking about what this does not mean than what it does mean. We spend more time making sure you understand, okay, Jesus himself is saying, ask and it will be done for you. And we spend more time talking about what that doesn't mean than actually what he's actually saying. We spend more time saying that that doesn't mean you can pray for a car and he's going to give it to you. That doesn't mean you can pray for wealth. That doesn't mean we spend all the time doesn't, 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 doesn't. But let's talk about what doesn't mean. This is a grand promise here. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But let's understand, how do we walk in this blessing of effectual prayer? How do we do this? And it's ensuring that whatever you wish, as he says, meets two criteria. Whatever you wish meets two criteria. First, it is you're asking according to his word. 
And then secondly, for the sake of his name. So he says, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So what is it, whatever you wish, it should be according to his word and for the sake of his name. And if you ask according to his word for the sake of his name, he says, I will do it. And because this type of prayer, it presupposes that his words abide in you. Because remember what he says in the beginning of verse 7. He says, if, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So automatically, this is presupposing that his words are in you, so that if his words are in you, then your desires are in accordance with what? His word. And it's for whose glory? His glory. And so you ask according to his word for his name's sake. Think of Psalm 34, verse 7. Delight yourself in the Lord, and what? He will give you the desires of your heart. And why will he give you the desires of your heart? Because you're delighting yourself in the Lord. And so now your desires are not your fleshly, selfish desires, but your desires are for him, for his glory. And so as you delight yourself in him, you're not just just laying down your desires for his desires, but you're laying down your desires so that as you see his desires, you desire what he desires and you pray for what he desires. And so Jesus says, now ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you in that context. So as we delight in his word, we subsequently delight to see the fulfillment or manifestation of his word in our life and in other people's lives. And so we pray according to his word. We're praying according to his word. But secondly, if we're praying whatever you wish, it should be according to his word, but also for the sake of his name. Emphasis on his name as opposed to whose name? As opposed to whose name? Our name, right? I'm praying for the sake of his name, for his glory, not my glory. And this is obviously related to this context here that he's speaking in the upper room in chapter 14, verse 13. When he, he says to his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He says there, whatever you ask, not in the disciples' name, but whatever you ask in, in my name. It's according to my will, my purposes, but for my name's sake, so that the Father would be glorified in the Son. That as we're praying, we're not praying according to our desires, we're praying according to his desires, because why? His word abides in us, and now I pray in accordance with his desires, his word. Because if we're honest with ourselves, how much of our prayers are really to subtly glorify ourselves? How much do you spend time praying, and are we really just seeking for selfish relief? And I don't know if we realize how often we do that. For example, Lord, I'm praying for healing so that I can go back to having a normal life. Lord, you say pray for healing. You say to bring our request towards you, to you. So I'm going to bring a request. I'm going to pray for healing. But really, my motive for being healed is so that my life will be less hard. I'm not really praying for God, for healing for God's namesake. I'm really just praying so that my life's easier. I'm praying so that my, my, my parent doesn't suffer anymore. My friend, my loved one doesn't suffer anymore for, so that it can be easier again. I want to go back to the, the easy, happy life again. So this person remains alive longer so that I just won't be sad. And again, this is not bad to pray for healing. It's not bad to pray for relief. But sometimes our motives are perverted because our motives are more fixed on what would make my life happier or easier. And I don't really want to face what's hard. I just want what's easy. 
And so while it's not bad to pray the content in itself, our motive is not whatever we wish according to what he wants. Our motive is whatever I wish according to what I want. But we have to understand the benefit here. He's saying now pray, and God hears the prayer, the effectual prayer of a righteous man, but that prayer is immersed in his word, and it's according to his name for his glory. This is why in James chapter 4, verse 2, it's followed with verse 3. Because it says, you do not have because you do not ask. But right after that, in verse 3, James says, you ask and you do not receive. So why do they not receive the answers to their prayer? He says, because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your pleasures. That praying for healing or provision, etc., they're not prayers in and of itself, but like I said, it's the motive behind it. So when you do ask, James says, you don't get it because you're really just thinking about yourself. But if I know God is, is pruning me, as we looked at last night, so though it hurts, I understand that this trial is for my good. But yet because his word is abiding in me and I know that what he is desiring to do is for the good, I'm going to not only humbly ask for the healing from whenever I'm asking, I'm not only, I'm going to only, not only humbly ask for relief, but I'm also going to ask that his will will be done. I'm not going to ask, Lord, that you take away this burden. That's not all I'm going to ask. But I'm also going to ask, Lord, that through this burden, teach me what it means to walk in a way that pleases you. Because as his word is abiding in me, I'm realizing that he does not just want an easy life for me. The Lord wants a life, a sanctifying life, where I learn what it looks like more to love Christ, even when times are hard. So if his words are abiding me, as Jesus says, if my words are in you, I ask whatever I wish because I realize what he wants is, is to count it all joy when I encounter circumstances, trials of various kinds. So I'm going to pray, Lord, in this trial that you've brought my way, Lord, I pray that you bring relief, that you would end this trial. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach me how to count it all joy in this trial. And I pray also, Lord, that in this trial, that you would perfect me and mature me so that I would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see how that effectual prayer is informed, not with my wishes, not with my desires, but with what? His word. That his word abiding in me, when I'm faced with it, I realize, what does his word have to say about this? It's not wrong for me to pray for this trial to end, but his word says he's doing something in me through this trial. So let me pray in accordance to that. And so Jesus, he says, ask whatever you wish, according to my name, as he says in John chapter 14, and it will be done. Is this how you pray? Is that how you think about prayer? When you come for prayer, when you think about prayer, is that how you think about prayer? Is the first thing you're thinking about is how can I pray in a way that essentially is essentially presenting God's promises back to himself? Because that's what we want to do, that when his word is in me, all what my prayers should do is I want to just present God's promises back to himself. Lord, you promised that you would give me perfect peace. Lord, you promised that if I pray and I bring my concerns toward me, you would give me peace that surpasses understanding. Lord, you said that you're going to perfect me through this trial. So, Lord, I pray that I would grow and know what it means more to trust in you through this. Now, I'm asking whatever I wish, but why am I asking that? Because now what I wish with his words abiding in me is for me to want what he wants for me, and he says I'll do it. 
Amen and amen. I will perfect you through this. I will give you greater desires for me through this. I will refine what you want in this. Because initially, you just wanted the pain to stop. But now, you want to glorify me through the pain. And you know what? In God's good grace, what will he do a lot of time is remove the pain and give you greater joy. And result in rejoicing to him for what he's done. But even if he does not remove that pain, I still rejoice because what I'm learning through this is he wants to perfect me, to mature me for his glory. And that's what I want. That's what he wants. And he will answer that prayer. So Jesus says, ask whatever you wish according to my word for my name's sake. And what does he say about that? I will do it. So what we want is our, the abiding of his word to be in us so that as we pray, effectual prayer is happening because I'm simply presenting God's promises back to himself. The heart that is saturated in God's word prays according to his will. So this prayer is not seeking for an easy life to be free of trials, but allowing for God to do what his word says. Now, obviously, God's ways are far above ours, and we do not know what his divine will is, but we have his preceptive will. So I don't know if it's God's will to heal in this situation. I don't know if it's God's will for this trial to end. I don't know if it's God's will for, to, to provide monetarily in this situation. I don't know if it's God's will for me to go to this college. I don't know if it's God's will for me to pursue this relationship. I don't know if it's God's will. That's in God's mind. That's God's business. That's his business, right? And I'm going to stay out of that business because that's his divine will. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us. So whatever God's going to do in this situation, that's according to his secret will. I'm going to trust that he's going to do all things will, all things well, because he said he will. But the things revealed, I know I'm going to pray then how I should feel about this, that if he does heal, I'm going to trust him. If he does not do it, I'm still going to trust him. But I'm also going to pray according to his revealed will that I would want what he wants most. All right. You guys with me on that? That whatever you wish is according to his word and for his glory. And so I also hope this informs your prayer life to excel in praying just beyond the desire for your temporal relief. I want you to view prayer more than just you praying just to ask God to do things for temporal relief for you. Like, don't just seek prayer. I just want this to stop. But this opens the door for prayer for you. Because even now, if this is how God works through me, if, if his words are abiding in me, and he says if his words are me, he and me, and I and him, if this is what he's doing, what he wants for me to do is to pray. Because God works tremendous things through prayer. You understand the power of prayer? Like, do you, have you thought about the power of prayer, of how God executes his sovereign will through the prayers of his saints? That through your prayers, God can work his will. And so if we understand the power of prayer, then I want to pray in a way that honors his word and is for his glory so that he can execute his will. Now, he will do all things according to his own will in his own time. But you see time and time in Scripture. We don't have time to go through it. But we see time and time in Scripture, for example, with Isaac, who, who couldn't have a kid. Right. Rebecca couldn't have a kid. Isaac and Rebecca. And we knew that a child was supposed to be born through him. And yet Isaac prays and it happens that God is working through the prayers of his saints to accomplish his will. And so Jesus here is saying, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. There's one commentator says it this way, that it stands to reason that a person who abides in Christ and whose heart Christ utterances are in complete control will ask nothing that is contrary to Christ's will. For he will always ask in the spirit of, not my will, 
but thine be done. Sound familiar? And in complete harmony with all that Christ has revealed concerning himself. That when Christ is abiding in us, in all our prayers, it will always echo the sentiment of, Lord, your will be done, not mine. And this is where the abiding in the word takes flight, because we're praying God's promises in faith and trusting in him. Think about what makes a good attorney. If you're in trouble, if you got into trouble and you're in jail and you need a good attorney, you know what kind of attorney I would want? I would want an attorney who knows the laws of the jurisdiction that I'm in. If I'm in a different state, I mean, I don't really want an attorney from Ohio, right? Like, I want an attorney who knows the jurisdiction that I'm currently in. You know why? Because that attorney knows the specific laws of where I'm at. He knows how the judge functions in that jurisdiction. He knows the laws that I have, the rights that I have in that jurisdiction that someone in another attorney in another state may not know. I want an attorney who knows the laws. You know why? Because when he stands on my behalf, he's going to petition according to the law. And the judge cannot say no because the law is the law. I want an attorney who knows the law and then can petition and present it for me. And so when his word is abiding in us, our prayers are effectual because we're praying according to his revealed will and how I can pray in wisdom in the specific circumstance. That I want to pray, what does the Lord want in this circumstance? How should I pray for me, for this person, for my loved one, for this circumstance? And this is the effectual prayer that is a benefit as God's child. That he wants to hear your prayers. He wants to hear from you. He wants your petitions. He wants your prayers. And even more, they are effectual because why? It's whatever I wish is according to his word and for his name's sake. And because this is true, this enables you to pray fervently and boldly. This is why we say in Hebrews chapter 4, come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because I'm not coming on my own confidence. I'm coming on his own word. That when I come before the God of heaven and earth, I'm presenting his own promises. And that's the only reason why I'm coming with boldness, because Christ came for me and died for me. And now he says, come boldly on his account. And so I'm presenting his promises, not my own. Second benefit, not only is, is effectual prayer a benefit, but secondly, exalting God's glory is a benefit of abiding here. Exalting God's glory. Verse 8 says that my father is glorified by this. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The glory of God is the theme of our life, believer. That is the theme of your life, the glory of God. Why were you created? Glorify God. Why are you here? To glorify God. What is your purpose to do at school? Glorify God. What is your purpose in choosing a school? Glorifying God. Every single thing in your life, you are designed and purpose to glorify God. And not only this, it's not only absent from that, but you see here this benefit here of abiding in, in, in Christ is you see the benefit of exalting God's glory. Because when you do exalt him, when you glorify God in your life, you are truly satisfied. That when you do what you're created to do in Christ, that's where you get your greatest joy. That when he is glorified, you are most satisfied. And if you're satisfied in him, you have no other need for any desires to be met because you are satisfied. But look what he says in verse 8 again. He says, my father is glorified in this. What is he glorified in? 
It's right after this. My Father is glorified in this. And what is it? That you bear much fruit. He's glorified in you bearing fruit. Think about if you were to look at a painting. If you were to look at a painting, uh, you think of the, the nicest painting you've ever seen. And when you look at it, do you ever look at the painting and you're in awe of it and you say, like, wow, I wonder what kind of wood was on the handle of that brush. Man, man, I, I, I wonder what, what kind of the bristles was that on that? Like, you, you don't think about, like, the handle on the brush. Like, you, you want to, like, look at the artist, right? The, the artist is praised for this painting, that the artist gets the glory for it, right? We're not looking at the tools that the artist used. I'm in awe of what the artist did. Because look at what the artist did through that. And in a similar way, when God saves us and he saves us for good works, and when we abide in him and we bear fruit, who gets the glory in that? God, because he's the, he's the artist, the author of the good works. And so God gets the glory. And we're just the, the, the bristles in his hand. We're just the paintbrush in his hand. And we don't get the attention. He gets the attention. And so Jesus says that God is glorified in this. He's glorified in what? As you bear fruit. And you bear fruit when? When you abide in him, when his word abides in you, that my father is glorified in this. And this is a benefit to you because when he is glorified, you are most satisfied. The fruit in your life glorifies God as he is glorified. And you're satisfied because you have been created to glorify him. This is seen in in other places of scripture in Philippians chapter 1. Verse 11, that Paul says that you have been filled with the fruits of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. And he says right after that, to the glory and praise of God. That believer, you have been called, you have been filled with the fruits of righteousness. And it's from Christ. But what is the purpose of it? To the praise of God. That you have been filled for good works for the praise of God. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and then do what? Glorify your God who is in heaven. So if there is a lack of joy, is there a lack of fruit? Is there a lack of abiding? Because how can we bear much fruit unless there is much word abiding within us? Because remember, the command is not to bear fruit. The command is what? What's the command? Abide, right? The command is abide. Abide in me and you will bear bear fruit. But he's saying here the benefit of that is God is glorified in the fruit. That as you bear fruit in your life, God is glorified because that fruit came from him. And everyone's going to look at the vine dresser and say, whoa, look at this gardener. Look what he did. And we are satisfied in that. So while abiding is essential, it's also active, if you remember Our our abiding is active, that the fruit is the outcome, and we don't control the fruit, but we are called to actively abide and actively pursue our growth. As a farmer, I'm going to beat this illustration to death, but a farmer, he, he can't control the weather. A farmer can't control the climate. He can't control when it rains. He can't control all of that stuff. But what is this farmer going to do? He's going to till. He's going to work. He's going to sweat. He is going to be in that field night and day. And in God's own sovereign timing, the fruit's going to come. But he is going to be faithful to do what he's been called to do. And the fruit's going to come in God's own sovereign timing. That there is, no, there is no abiding without active pursuit. 
that we must pursue, that we can't abide because we've been cleansed and the believer will abide, but that does not negate our responsibility to abide in the vine, to pursue our faith. It's like what we looked at with Second Peter chapter 1, verse 6 in the first night, to, to make sure your election is sure, to, to supplement in your faith, moral excellence, and so forth, that we're called to supply. You actively pursue your sanctification in obedience to Christ's word. And one way that we bear fruit this is just one practical way that if you're saved, that when the Lord saved you, the spirit gave to you gifts. Here's just one example. But the spirit gave to you gifts that as a believer in Christ, you have spiritual gifts. Now, depending on how you view the spiritual gifts, I don't want to spend time there. But, but every single person is essentially given a package here of this is a gifting here. It's not necessarily always just one gifting. This person has a gift of encouragement, and that's their only gift. So they better not do anything else because they got to stick to encouragement, right? I just view it as this, you've been given a package here of gifts. And some are stronger in this area. Some are not as strong in this area. But it's a package here. And really, at the end of the day, like you don't know all your gifts, but the Lord knows. The Spirit gave to you. But every single believer has a gift. And what should you do now that you're saved in Christ? I want to serve and use my gifts, not to earn my salvation, not to earn God's favor. I already have it, but I'm now working out my gifts because I've been called to, because I've been given this gift, and I do it to honor the Lord. And as I work out my gifts, who's glorified? God's glorified. But as I work out my gifts, the body is edified, the body is built up, and God is glorified. Think about the most simple example here. Most simple example. So, if you have a dusting ministry at GBC, we got a dusting ministry, all right? We got a lot of dust here, right? A lot of dust. Now, we just need some people to come in through the week and just dust, dust, dust the heels, dust the heels, uh, dust the bookcases, d- dust the chairs, just dust, right? No one really sees that. It's, just, it's a small, quote-unquote, small ministry here. But what about for that believer who comes in and wants to honor the Lord, because of how good Christ is, how good the Lord has been to them. And they say, you know what? I have the time. I have the desire. I'm going to come in. I'm going to dust in the middle of the week. No one's going to see it. But you know what? I'm going to dust. And you know who's, who's benefited by that? The local church body is benefited by a cleaner premises to, to, to have um, more productive ministry throughout the week. But I'm just going to dust here with my own strength, faithfully, by the power of God, and I'm going to do it prayerfully, Lord. Ask, Lord, give me a joyful heart as I just dust this bookshelf. Lord, give me a faithful heart as I faithfully come in week in and week out to dust for your glory. The people are benefited, yes, but God is glorified in that because they're essentially working out their giftings in the way that they can, and God uses that and is blessed by it, and he is glorified in that. That the believer seeking to do this not to earn God's favor, but is doing it because they've got God's favor. And now God is glorified in that. And so when Jesus says here is that, that God is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, that fruit comes from that because that believer is simply abiding in Christ and wants to honor Christ. And that works out in very tangible ways within the body. If you're in Christ, you have a gift. You have giftings. And as First Peter says, whatever your gift is, you do it in the strength that the Lord supplies. So whether it's dusting, whether it's teaching, whether it's serving, whatever it is, you do it in the strength that God supplies. And he blesses that. And fruit comes from that because I'm doing it not to earn God's favor, not to produce fruit. I'm simply abiding and working, and now God bears fruit through that. That's his own timing. 
And so a benefit here, you see, God is glorified in this. And as we see God is glorified, I am satisfied in his glory. That I want one thing, and I want him to be glorified. And this is where your active pursuit is equally spirit-dependent. Because no matter how small the service is, no matter what your ministry is, that you should do it prayerfully dependent upon the Lord. That, Lord, as I come in here to sing on stage, to pass out flyers, if I'm going to be a greeter, I don't care what it is. Lord, as I rock babies in the children's ministry, Lord, I pray I would do this to your glory. Help me to honor you and to do this faithfully. Let me pray for those who I'm serving now. Whatever you do, you do it spirit-dependent, depending upon the Lord, and praying, God, that you would be glorified through this. And he says as you do this, he's glorified, God is glorified. And he says as you do this, you prove to be my disciples. That no matter how small or insignificant you think your giftedness is, you do it in reverence to God upon the power of God for his glory. But he says, as you do this, your proof of being a follower of Christ is evidenced, which gives you greater assurance. Because for God's glory and your satisfaction, he says, the more you bear fruit, he says, and you prove, in other words, you evidence to be my disciple. So the more you abide, he says, the more you bear fruit, and then now you more prove or evidence to be my disciple. And as you have that evidence, you have the more of assurance that you belong to this Lord. This is a benefit, not only to have effectual prayer, but to exalt God's glory, that you are now a vessel, a tool of exalting God's glory, and there's nothing else you want more than to exalt and to glorify this God who saved you. This is your joy, that I want to be used to glorify God. Moving on to the third benefit, not only effectual prayer, exalting God's glory, but thirdly, enjoying God's love. One of the blessings, the rich blessings of abiding in Christ is enjoying his love. And this is a rich benefit here. You get greater confidence, greater joy. And this is a little bit counter, uh, counter-cultural to the emotional emphasis that people place on God's love. Because when we want to focus on God's love, typically, most people hear that as focusing on God's love. I want to feel God's love. And it's always about just the subjective feeling. Like, I want to feel God's love. Like, I, so in order to, to pursue that, I just want to feel more. I need to go on some sort of big spiritual pursuit so I can feel more of God's love. But that's kind of the wrong way of looking at it here, because look how Jesus here explains for us the experience of God's love as a believer. Because there is a subjective aspect to it. Your emotions are important, but it's often backwards, where we're seeking to feel God's love more than we're seeking to experience it in the way that he's defined for us. But the first thing to understand before we look at it here, actually, let's look. Verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So if we want to talk about God's love, experiencing God's love, look what Jesus says here in verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So the one thing to realize about God's love is God's love for you, believer in Christ, is already done. It's already given to you. You hear that? That God's love is not a matter of how much you feel it. It's objective. He says, I have already loved you. He says, I have also loved you. But even there, you look at the comparison. He's comparing Christ's love for you to what? Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. 
Like that should make your jaw drop a little. That he's, he's comparing his love for you within this love that's in the Godhead. That as the Father has loved me, I have loved you, beloved. That his love is already accomplished. It is done. And he compares it to what now in verse 10? He compares this abiding in his love in verse 10 to, if you keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, he says, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. If you keep his commandments, he says, you will abide in his love. Now, what I like about this here is, notice what he says there. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is not what he says. He does not say, if you are elect, you will abide in my love. That's true. If you are elect, you will abide in his love. But that's not what he says. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And why is that the case? Because the true believer abides. The true believer has his word abiding in them. And the true believer also keeps his commands. This is the mark of the believer's life, that to abide in Christ, to have his word abiding in you, it also is akin to abiding in his love by obeying him. He says, if you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love. And he gives the example. Christ is the ultimate example, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. He's given his own life as a testimony that he kept the Father's commandments while he was on earth from start to finish. He says, I did it. He gave an example. He says, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, he says, now you abide in my love. And how is that love displayed? By obedience to me. But this, this, this keeping here, I'm curious. Anyone have um, Legacy Standard Bible? Okay, what is, can someone read verse 10 for me? What does verse 10 say, Matt? Keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay. Kept my and abide in his love. Perfect, thank you. So it still says keep here. It says if you keep my commandments. Now, when we think about this, keeping my commandments, what we tend to think about is, okay, this means I don't do this, I don't do this, and I don't do that. Or we think about the, the, what I should not do. But literally the word here for keep is the word that we, we use for guard. Like, in other words, if you guard my commandments... And why is that important? Because he's not just talking about oh, what you don't do, but he's talking about what you guard and what you do do. Because after this section here in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. That that is a proactive command to love one another. So what he's saying here is that if you keep my commandments, in other words, you guard my commandments, you will abide in my love. And the believer does guard his commandments. And why is that? Because the believer has been cleansed and now receives his commandments gladly. This doesn't mean that you will keep them perfectly. It does not mean that you won't sin. But what he's saying here, the mark of the believer is one who obeys and they obey because they love. And now that love is evidenced in obedience. He says, if you guard my commandments, you abide in my love. Do you love the Bill of Rights? You love oh, you got one person. You love the, the Bill of Rights. You know, I you hope you do, because in those Bill of Rights, you have rights, right? <laughs> and those Bill of Rights, it's good for you. And that we should rightfully guard the Bill of Rights. And we not just keep it, word for word, like, yes, we want to obey it, yes. But we want to guard the Bill of Rights. Because I know that is for the good. That to guard the Bill of Rights has 
huge implications on us. And so in the sense here, it's not just about making sure you do the right things, but the idea of guarding it because you see how important it is. And so in Jesus here is saying, enjoying God's love, he says, as you abide in me, another benefit of abiding in me is that you're enjoying the love within the Godhead. How Christ, who willingly submitted himself to the Father, obeying the Father in all things, and he says, receive the Father's love, he says, you also, you are abiding in my love, and you keep my commandments. You guard my commandments because you treasure them. And the benefit of that is you are enjoying the love of God. That Christ is here relating love for him with obeying him. And this obedience is not drudgery. This obedience is not practiced five days a week. This is delight that I guard the law of God. I guard his word because he cleansed me and made me fit to guard it. And now I want to guard it. And in that guarding, he says, you are enjoying my love. That the more I obey him, the more blessing I receive, the happier I am in obedience. That's why if you're a believer, you're not happy for long in your sin. You should feel conviction over sin. That when you should feel some pull in your life after a while. That's why Proverbs says is that the way of the treacherous is hard. That if you choose to go astray, it's not going to be a fun life for you as a believer. Because Hebrews 12 says that if you're truly a child of God, a true child of God will be disciplined in love. And the point of that discipline is to bring you back to him. But this obedience of love toward this Christ is one that you do willingly Because you love him. And he says in that you are experiencing his love. That a believer is motivated by the wonder of Jesus' love and therefore willingly obeys him. And so he commands you to abide in my love and enjoy the benefits thereof. Because how do you do that? By joyfully obeying his word. He's emphasizing the inseparable unity of love and obedience which we're called to partake. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. But here's the thing. He says, You abide in my love. Why is it that we can love him? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says that we love. Why? Because he first loved us. So we should crave the, the subjective feeling of love. I'm not saying that's not, that's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad, excuse me. That's not bad to want the subjective feeling of, of God's pleasure. I'm not saying that's bad. But what I'm saying here is Christ is, is, is anchoring here love and obedience toward him. Where I want to obey him by not only not doing what I'm not supposed to do, but doing what I'm supposed to do out of love for Christ. And the reason why I do that now is because I've been giving a new soul where now I love what I did not used to love. I used to have no feelings toward the word of God. It was indifferent. I could hear this all day and I didn't care. But now, abiding in him, being saved by him, I now want to to, to please him. I now want to obey him. I now guard his commandments because they're like meat to my soul. And so he's saying here, to love me is to obey me. And the reason why I love him is because he first loved me. One person said this way, that righteous obedience is the key to to experiencing God's blessing. So therefore, pursue obedience, but in doing that, you're enjoying God's love. So, So why we abide? 
we abide for effectual prayer. We abide to exalt God's glory. But I'm abiding to enjoy God's love because it's in this abiding, in this obedience that I get what I need most. And that is the love of God as I see that as he works obedience in my life. When Christ says in verse 10, as I've kept my father's commandments, he leads by example. This should cause us to think more, as we talked about even earlier, about meditating on the righteousness of Christ. I want you to think about how Christ kept the father's commandments from start to finish, that the righteousness of Christ is like gasoline to us. Because because he was righteous in all manners of life, because he's obedient to the Father's will in all areas of his life, he was sufficient sacrifice for us. That because he honored the Father in all things, because he went to the cross as the blemish, the, the, a, a lamb without blemish, the spotless lamb of God, that he can take on the wrath of God like I couldn't. Like I can go to the cross, but it doesn't mean anything about my sin because I'm a lamb with blemish. I'm broken. But because Christ lived a righteous life, because he obeyed the Father's commands, then now I can come to him because on his account. So now I gladly submit to him because he first loved me. I submit to him gladly because this cleansing, it costs him everything. Abiding in Christ brings this assurance of your salvation because as you experience the blessing of his love through abiding in him, you experience his joy as you experience his love. So abide in him so that you enjoy God's love. Be assured of your election. Guard his word in your heart. As you see, as he's pursuing this thing, he's saying, abide in me. I in you. My words abide in you so that you pray and you do. And I I, ask whatever you wish and I grant it to you. Ask whatever you have, whatever you desire after your desires are enriched in me and ask whatever you will. And I will do it because it's immersed in my word. It's according to my will. It's for my name's sake. But even beyond that now, he says, be content, be keen on exalting God's glory by bearing fruit and the The only way you can bear fruit is by abiding in me. And as you abide in me and as you bear fruit because I'm working in you, fruit is coming and God is glorified and you are satisfied. You are more joyful because you see what God is working in you. And even more now, you're abiding in his love because as you experience this obedience that he's working in you, you have greater heights of joy because your joy is not fixed on your performance, but on Christ, on his performance and how that performance now works in you to obey him in greater depths. You see, this abiding now works in us so that now I want more of what he wants in me. I want more obedience. I want more greater depths of love because in that I find my greatest satisfaction. So I want to see the benefits here of abiding in Christ, that as you abide in Christ, as you actively pursue your sanctification, he works in you. He changes your desires. Fruit comes not of your own power, but by his own will. And God is glorified in that. And you are satisfied that you see prayers, answers to prayers. You see God being exalted in your life. And you also see the experience now of enjoying his love, this secret love what's in the Godhead. Real quick, if, if you go back to chapter 14, I remember hearing, um, who was it? Uh, Alistair Begg speaking on this, on this passage in, in John chapter 14. And he, he's in the context here of obedience. But I, I remember I was in the, in the um, it's like a conference. I forget what it was. But I was a leadership conference. And, and Alistair Begg was, was teaching, and he got to John chapter 14, verse 23. 
And it says here, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. This is very similar here. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. You can read that again and again. And it's going to blow your mind because look what he's saying here. If you if you love me, you'll keep my word. That's pretty obvious, right? Because if you love him, right, you love him because he loved you first and therefore you will obey him. But look what he says here. And my father will love him. And we. So who's we? Father and the son will come to him and make our abode, our dwelling with him. And this is, I remember when Alistair Begg was preaching on this, and he got to this verse here, and he says that we will come to him and make our abode with him, that the Father and the Son will come and make our dwelling with you. He said, brothers, I don't even know what this means. Like, what does this mean? That, that You see, the Father and the Son, he says, if you obey me, the Father will love me, and we will come and make our dwelling with you. Like, I don't even understand what all that entails. Like, this is huge here. Uh, He says, if you love me, if you obey me, the Father will love you, and we will come, and we will make our dwelling with you. Of course, we know the the, the abiding spirit within us, but here you see Jesus himself saying that we will come. You have this intense here teaching that the Godhead will make the residence in you. Why? Because you worked so hard to please him? No. No. But because he drew you to himself, he grafted you to the true vine, and now you're bearing fruit. And he says, now you experience this, this dwelling now where we come and make our dwelling with you. That God, very God now, is with you. Like, this should blow your mind. That this abiding here is not something you should do just to make yourself feel better. But you see all the benefit of this. How God works through his children to, to, to pray more fervently to desire God's glory and to experience his love, that this is where you get your all and all. Like, this is where it's at. Like, this is where the true joy is found in the Christian life. And that's why Jesus says, I say this, that your joy is complete. Like, this is where it's at. And it grows from here. So I want us to see here the true benefit here, that your Christ your Christ here brings all the fulfillment of everything that you're looking for. That don't settle for anything less. Your Christ should produce this joy in your hearts where you see the abiding work of the spirit in you, in you producing fruit that produces God's glory and gives you greater joy and has you surmount and pursue higher depths of, of Christ's likeness. Why? Because he's working in you to love him more, to cherish him more and to walk with him more deeply. Like, this is where your true joy is found. And as we close this retreat, or from my portion, close this retreat, I just want to give one more passing touch on this, or one more passing point on this. I want it to heart-to-heart real quick. We talked about a lot of abiding here, and I've been assuming here that the Spirit of God has worked on you already, where he has drawn you to himself, he has cleansed you, all right? But I want, I want you to really survey your life and where you're at right now. Do you truly desire Christ? Do you love him? Do you want what God wants? I'm not just asking you the right, for the right answer. I want you to really survey in your soul. Do you desire Christ? I'm not asking you if you do the right things. Do you desire Christ? Have you seen evidence in your life 
that you love this Christ and that love has poured out in obedience. Have you seen that mark in your life? Do you have confidence that you truly have been cleansed and been grafted into the true vine? I want you to leave here tonight with that confidence. Do not go down this hill without the confidence that you know this Christ, that you love this Christ because he first loved you. Do you have that assurance this evening? And if you don't, be honest with your soul tonight. Be honest of where you're at. And I want you to see this Christ in all of his glory that we've seen. And I want you to be honest with this Christ because he will immediately graft you to his vine if you come to him with humility and say, Lord, I've been faking it this whole time. I don't really love you. I don't know what it means to abide in you. I don't think I've ever abided in you. But Lord, you said to come to you, and I come to you now as Lord and Savior in my filth, in my, in my wickedness, and I can't clean myself up, but I come to you as the Savior whose blood can wash away the most heinous of sin, and I bow the knee before you, Lord. And will you just save me? Be honest with the Lord tonight. Do not go down this mountain without the assurance that you've been cleansed, grafted into the vine. And God is producing fruit in you for his glory, not just so you feel better about yourself. Make sure you know this Christ because there's tremendous benefits here that I want us to leave with. These benefits are not about making your conscience feel better. It's all about you having joy so that you have joy in the Christian life. And now you can pursue and to walk with Christ because this is going to be a walk that you take to the grave. And I want you to walk with the fullness of joy that Christ wants for you. So you should have the fullness of of the assurance there of not only of your salvation, but now in Christ. Have the benefit of knowing here of effectual prayer, exalting God's glory, but also enjoying God's love. And if if, if you're in Christ, there's no other benefit that you want. Like, I, I want this. If you're in Christ, here's a litmus test. Then you want, I want effectual prayer. I, I want, I want a, a deeper prayer life where I'm praying according to his word. And I'm seeing God answer prayers, not just for my own benefit, but for his glory. And I, I want to see God exalted in my life. I want to see him glorified in my life. And even more, I want to enjoy his love that is found in obeying him and treasuring, guarding his commandments. I want that. That if you earnestly want that, that is a good sign of life. That's a good sign you've been grafted to the true vine because those who abide wants what he wants. And so if that's the truth, if that's the case, enjoy these benefits, pursue them actively, and realize that the only way this can happen is by the power of God through the work of his spirit. And obviously we cannot neglect the ministry of his word. Enjoy these benefits, walk in them, grow in them, and take what he wants for you. And that is joy. And there's joy found in him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these, these group of students who love you. It's evident in their desire to learn from you. It's evident in their desire to walk with you. And I pray that they would excel still more in their faith. I pray, Lord, for even that soul who is unsure where they stand before you. I pray they would know the confidence that you said yourself through your son. That all that the Father will give to me will come to me. And anyone who comes to me, by no means I will cast aside. And so, Lord, we have the assurance that you said that who comes to you, Lord, with repentant faith, you will by no means cast aside. So I pray, Lord, for you for that soul who is questioning, who is wondering, that, Lord, tonight would be the night of their salvation. 
I pray, God, that you would benefit or you would um, have them benefit in these benefits that you have for them, that you would nurture in them true fruit and that you would glorify your name through them. We ask all this for your name's sake in Christ's name. Amen.